0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Murder Under the Midnight Sun 2.0. Today's case I'm sharing actually ran previously as a Patreon episode, so many of you probably didn't hear it, and I'd be surprised if you were a non-Alaskan resident that had heard of this case, even though at the time it happened it was pretty dramatic, and it's an extremely sad case. And while it is solved, I really felt that it should be shared. Just a quick note, if you want to find me on social media, you can find me at facebook.com slash Alaskan True Crime, on Instagram, my username's Murder Under the Midnight Sun, or you can email me on Gmail at MidnightSunMurder. Hope to hear from you, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's actually the first case that's made me cry since starting this podcast. And it's primarily because there's a dog involved, and I'm a dog fanatic. (laughs) Um, So I will try to make it through without crying. Here we go. This is a story of Christopher Rogers, Jr., the Palmer Machete Murderer. In my opinion, one of the most terrifying weapons I can imagine being attacked with would be a machete. Guns are scary in their own right, but often when someone attacks someone with a gun, they're shooting to kill. With machetes and other blades, the person is often first looking to make their victim suffer and to cause as much pain and injury to the body as possible before they finally die. It takes an extra level of hate and anger to kill someone with a knife instead of a gun. With a gun, you simply have to pull a trigger and with the right aim, the victim is dead in a split second with pretty much just one small movement. The blade, you really have to want your victim dead and often you're very close to them and you can see the pain all over their face. You have a close-up view of their last horrible moments. It's personal and it's visceral. It takes a demented mind to want to see someone die that way. In the first criminology class I ever took in high school, I remember the teacher telling us that people that murder with knives generally get harsher punishments than those that do so with a gun because it's so personal. And while most people could probably kill someone with a gun in the right circumstances, it takes a certain type of person to commit murder with a blade. It's a much darker crime, usually committed by a much darker mind. The only thing that can make this scenario worse would be if the person attacking you in this manner is someone you love dearly. We will be focusing on that exact nightmare scenario in today's episode, focusing on the crimes of Christopher Rogers, Jr. Palmer, Alaska is a small community of approximately 6,000 people. and It's located about 40 miles north of Anchorage. The town was created as part of Roosevelt's New Deal and was made to be an agricultural community, and it was settled by a couple of hundred people that were relocated from the Midwest during the Great Depression. The results turned out well, and the valley encompassing Palmer and the neighboring town of Wasilla produces almost all of the agriculture of the entire state. Palmer has its own unique vibe. It's incredibly scenic, nestled up against the Chugiak Mountains, but it also has a bit of a farm town feel. Some that live there now commute to Anchorage daily for work, but many still work the land for a living. And it kind of has a bit of a hippie vibe, and it's one of the favored destinations for young people that want to live a more rural lifestyle and grow their own food. And now that pot is legal here, I'm willing to guess that there are quite a few marijuana-growing operations out there now as well. However, this lovely community was actually once the scene of one of the bloodiest crimes in Alaska history. On December 1st, 2007, Christopher Rogers Sr., 51, his fiancée, Ilan Morin, who goes by Lenny, age 55, And his son, Chris Rogers Jr., and some friends and family members were having a small gathering at the couple's house in Palmer, Alaska. The couple lived together in the house, and at the time, Chris Jr. was living in another house on the property. He had been working to get his life back on track. At the tender age of 28, he already had quite an extensive criminal record, but had really yet to serve any real jail time. He'd even set a couple of forest fires previously, but still hadn't really spent much time in jail. In July of 2007, just a few months prior to the events of the story, he'd actually gotten a DUI, and Chris Sr. and Lenny decided to allow him to live on the property while he tried to get his life back together. She was 13 years sober and hoped that she could be a good example for him. The party that night was to celebrate the couple's one-year anniversary. They had actually known each other off and on for many years, but had just reconnected the year prior and fallen in love. And at the gathering that night, the couple and their friends and family members were discussing their plans for the two of them to get married on the following summer solstice. They were all very excited about it. That night, Lenny and Chris Sr. retired to sleep with Chris's huge English mastiff sleeping next to the bed as usual. His name was Bear. Lenny was having a tough time sleeping and was just laying there awake when she was shocked to see Chris Jr. lurking in the doorway to their bedroom. Before she could say anything, he lunged at his father next to her in the bed and began hitting him with a large machete. Chris Jr. was yelling as he brutally attacked his dad and when Lenny tried to help, she got parts of her fingers cut off. She was stunned and had no idea what to do. She began to just pray out loud as injured Chris Sr. managed to get up and push his son out of the room. Lenny scrambled out of the bed and rushed to the bathroom, despite having been slashed several times. She had a phone, but was having a really hard time using it due to the damage to her hands. Before she could make a phone call, Chris Jr. came storming in the bathroom and began slashing her again. At this point, she said she had no fear. She felt certain she was about to go meet her maker. Suddenly, Bear, the Mastiff, lunged at Chris Jr. and just began attacking him viciously, trying to stop whatever was going on. The dog was around 150 pounds and incredibly loyal to his owner, Chris Sr., and by extension, Lenny. The dog managed to chase Chris Jr. out of the house, and he jumped in his dad's big truck and tore out of there. Now that he was gone, Lenny was able to call 911. At this point, she was in really bad shape and had lost a lot of blood. On the 911 call, you can hear her talking in a very calm voice as though she's just accepting of the fact that she's about to die. And she actually ends up passing out due to lack of blood on the phone call. Luckily, however, she had given enough information to the troopers that they could find her in order to save her life. She was also able to tell them when they arrived who exactly the perpetrator was and describe the vehicle that he was in. She also told them that Chris Sr. had put his revolver in the truck during the party, so Chris Jr. now had another weapon in his arsenal along with the machete he had taken with him. To the responding officers, the house looked straight out of a horror movie. There was blood all over the floor and walls and in every room. It was miraculous that Lenny had even survived. Unfortunately, Chris Sr. was already dead by the time they had gotten there. He had been hit with a machete at least 25 times, and it had been mostly aimed at the head and neck. Lenny was rushed into emergency surgery, and it was found she had been hit over 50 times, including in the head, but miraculously managed to survive the emergency surgery, and after that, would end up having 17 surgeries altogether. Troopers quickly contacted other departments, such as the Anchorage Police Department, just less than an hour drive away, to let them know about the suspect who might be headed in that direction, other troopers spread out through the property looking for the dog bear and they did find him laying in the woods. He had gotten quite injured while attacking the murderer but he too would make it through. Nobody had any idea where Chris Jr. would go now that he was on the run. Law enforcement was keeping a lookout for the truck everywhere but unbeknownst to them he had actually headed stri- straight to Anchorage ditched the truck and was now looking for another vehicle. As Chris Jr. was looking for another vehicle to steal, he came upon 27-year-old grad student Jason Winger sitting in an SUV in his driveway, letting it warm up. Jason was from Colorado. He had graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology and creative writing, and he had decided to take an adventure and come up to Alaska and go to UAA for his graduate degree in creative writing. As it was Sunday, Jason was getting ready to go to church, but was just letting his vehicle warm up a little bit before he took off. Without warning, Chris Jr. came up on the vehicle out of nowhere and shot Jason without giving him a chance to say or do anything. He was planning to steal the vehicle, but when Jason slumped over, he realized he probably wouldn't be able to get his body out of the way, and get the vehicle out of there in time because he had just shot him and it had been very loud and they were in a neighborhood. So he quickly ran off from the area and by the time another neighbor came along and saw Jason slumped over in the vehicle, it was too late and he had already passed away. Jason was known as being just this gregarious, outgoing, wonderful, happy guy. He had decided to come up here on a whim, go on an adventure, and he actually worked to help uh, disabled adults find jobs. He was the kind of guy that was always championing the underdog, and his family just thought it was so ironic later when they found out who had shot him because Chris Jr. was the kind of guy that Jason probably would have gone out of his way to help and try to help him make his life better but at the time, no one could really figure out who had just come up and randomly shot him. Law enforcement did not immediately make a connection between the murder in Palmer and the shooting of Jason Winger. At the moment, it was two separate law enforcement agencies thinking they were pursuing two separate suspects. A little while later, on that same day, A 33-year-old woman named Liz Rumsey was walking home on a bike path while having a phone conversation. And out of nowhere, was suddenly shot three times from behind and just fell face-first into the snow. Luckily, it was right near her neighborhood and she had the cell phone with her and she was able to get a hold of somebody. And her life was saved. She had absolutely no idea who had shot her since he had been behind her on the trail. Now Anchorage law enforcement was really springing into action, thinking there was just a random shooter out there shooting people he had no connection to, and they had absolutely no idea who it could be. That night passed, and Chris Jr. was still on the loose, hiding out in the woods, but the next morning his face was on the front of the Anchorage Daily News. Early that morning, a 43-year-old man named Thomas Deak was coming out to his vehicle to warm it up to get ready to go to work, and Chris Jr. came running out at him out of nowhere and shot him several times at close range. He then jumped in the man's idling car and raced away. The man had been hit several times, including in the neck, but he happened to have a cell phone with him, and... Despite the fact that he could barely speak, he was able to call 911 and get help to him quickly and was able to be saved. He was actually still conscious when the EMTs got there, and he was able to give them a really good description of his vehicle that had been stolen and of the suspect, and it was obvious from the description that it was the same perpetrator that had done the murder in Palmer the day before. Now police were all on the same page and knew they were just pursuing one suspect. It was really not that long later when police officers happened to see the stolen vehicle driving by, and they quickly began to pursue him. He tried to race away from them, but they were able to catch up with him and force his vehicle off of the road. He went to pull his gun out, but it completely jammed and they were able to arrest him without any more violence. When he was questioned, he didn't have much information to give, but he did say that he had gone on to shoot those strangers because after he had killed one person, he decided might as well take a few more down with him. He didn't show any remorse or regret. He was charged with two first-degree murders and three attempted murders. At trial, he was found guilty on all charges and ended up being sentenced to 498 years in prison. Bear, the dog, ended up being present at part of the trial and was later named a hero dog of Alaska by the Humane Society. Lenny credited the dog with saving her life and she took good care of him until he passed away from cancer at the age of 10 in 2009. In the aftermath, Lenny has dealt with PTSD, as could be expected, and of course struggled for a long time to get through both her grief and her physical injuries. The whole time, she has felt comforted in her religion and credits it, along with Bear, in helping her make it through. She's now working on a book about her story and hopes to inspire others. Sadly, while researching this case, I saw that her adult son was shot and killed outside of an Anchorage bar last Christmas Eve. From what I can tell, one man has been indicted in the murder, but doesn't appear to have been much progression in that case yet. It's crazy to think about one person having to go through so many horrible tragedies in their life, and I really hope that she's still able to hang in there and maintain And I hope things somehow get better for her. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, even though it was a bit short. I am really interested in doing some research into some unsolved crimes and missing persons. So if you have a friend or family member that has gone missing or is involved in an unsolved crime, I would love to talk to you and get information So the best way to contact me would be my email, MidnightSunMurder at gmail, and I look forward to hearing from you. I'll talk to you guys next time.